Let me know when you're ready back there to record. Everything's good. All right. Well, Father, we just come in Jesus' name and through his blood, and we just thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. You alone are worthy of all the glory. Lord, we thank you tonight for an open heaven. We thank you for your glory here, Holy Spirit, that you're anointing and empowering this time. And Lord, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be spoken under the anointing, that the Holy Spirit even now is moving out among the people, and that all of us, the Holy Spirit will help us to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, have eyes and ears of the Spirit, and that the living seeds of God's Word going out, sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, I thank you for the winds of your Spirit carrying this out everywhere it's supposed to go. And Lord, we stand on the promise that your Word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil because we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And, Lord, we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way. We commit to be bound, and you will back off right now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing the way for this to accomplish what it's supposed to because the promise of God is it will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We stand on that promise. We thank you for everything accomplished in it through this time that you will to be done. We believe it as two agreeing on earth is touching this. We expect it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm beginning a series on, I entitled it Historic Revivals, and, and I'm going to be taking my time this year, and this is a subject I really enjoy. So, Lord willing, I mean, this could go the whole year, okay? We're just talking about a lot of different things, a lot of different moves of God. This is a a subject I know River of Life really loves and appreciates as well. So, But tonight, I was going to go a different direction. I had a sermon, and the Lord just came to me throughout the week and milled the night one night and just kind of, you could use the word downloaded, but just gave me this tonight. And I've been sensing this very deep in my spirit anyway, and the Lord just kind of gave me maybe words in a, in, a, in a sermon form, a way of communicating something that I've been feeling really deep in my spirit. And I'll share some things even of a personal nature tonight that I normally don't. I don't like to get real personal. I don't like to talk about a lot of things that have happened, a lot of difficult times that we've been through. I just don't like talking about. But tonight I felt God wanted me to share a few things. But tonight, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm entitling this like the introduction and in the, the title would be a desperate cry, like a desperation, so a desperate cry. And I want to show you, this is all through Scripture, and I'm going to give you also a historical account with Evan Roberts, and then I'm going to give you some of my personal experiences. But this is something that only God can do. What I'm going to be sharing tonight, this is not something that you can kind of muster up. This is something God's got to put in us. And so let me, let me just show you this as we go, and I believe it'll make sense. So in Exodus 2, verse 21, I'm going to go in a lot of different places, but this maybe throughout this week you might go back and just read over some of these scriptures. But I want you to see this. It says, in the passing of time, the king of Egypt died. So we remember how Joseph was there and the land of Goshen, all that, and then the Pharaoh dies, and then there became an administration there that did not know Joseph. 
All right, it says the children of Israel, it says the, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out. Everybody say cry out. And their cry came up to God on account of the bondage. So there was like this desperate cry. And listen to what it says here. God heard their groaning. Now, that word is important. I'm going to go through several places, but I want you to remember two words tonight. You're going to see over and over. There was like a cry of desperation, but there was also a, a groan, okay? And it says, and, God, and when they groaned, okay, when God's people groaned, it says, God then remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked on the children of Israel and had concern for them, and we know that after that account there, they had a desperate cry and a deep groan, that after that, we know the story that God then appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And the whole process began of God moving now, interjecting himself into this situation to deliver them. Okay, so give me your best ear tonight. I believe this is the word of the Lord. In John eleven thirty two. Um, Jesus, we know the story. Now, a brief synopsis here. So Jesus, when he would travel through this part of Israel, he seemed to really love um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That seemed to be a house that he wanted to go to, and they were close friends of his. And I'm sure that they, they put him and the disciples up and took care of them. But it was someplace that Jesus loved them. He loved being with them. And this was someplace where he wanted to be. Okay, so keep that in mind because that is important. It says, when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, and if, you, if you're familiar with this story, Jesus delayed going to heal Lazarus on purpose until he died. Okay, and remember how much Jesus loved them, but he still delayed on purpose. So when Mary, when Jesus came, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, and she dropped down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, it seemed really hopeless, because they knew that Jesus could heal him, but it was almost like their mentality was that, well, it's too late now, you know. But it wasn't, you see. And Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews also, which came with her, and listen to what it says here. He groaned in the spirit. Don't forget that, because that's an important word. Now, I looked up the Greek word there, because there's different translations, but it does mean in the Greek that he groaned. Now, and he was troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, come and see, and Jesus wept. So you see here that there was a groan, and there was weeping on Jesus' part. But this groan that Jesus did was very purposeful. Something was in that groan. And the result of the groaning, the result of the weeping, literally raised the dead. And so I'm going to keep going because there's more just like this throughout here. But I want you to see that there's something about a desperate cry there's something about like a fullness of time. It seems like when, when things, and I've talked about this a lot, so you're familiar. 
the chronos time. We go through just being faithful, you know. But there comes that kairos time when it's, it's the fullness of time. And when that comes, it's, it's just like in Exodus, the, the children, children of Israel, it was time now. I mean, since 400 years were up. It was time for God to bring deliverance. And they didn't even realize it, but they began to have some kind of a desperate cry up to God. And they had some kind of a groan. And then out of that, God began to move. In the same way, Jesus, the fullness of time, he waited, he delayed on purpose for everything to be exactly as it needed to be. Now, everybody there would have thought, well, Jesus, you're late. But Jesus was right on time for what was going to happen. And he still, knowing the fullness of time, that now it was time in his ministry for a dead person to be raised in his ministry to catapult to a new place, he chose this family to use them in such an extraordinary way. And at the fullness of time, Jesus began to groan, but it raised the dead. And I'm going to show you some more. You know, my wife had had a dream, and I just want to say, without getting into that, that what the enemy wants, he's, he wants to target people that God's going to use them. And it's like, it's like shooting a bullet. It's like trying to kind of take them out. They may physically be alive and functioning, and walking around, but it's almost like they're a ghost, so to speak, because they, they're not really seen where they need to be seen. They're not heard where they need to be heard. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? She had a dream that kind of spoke about that, that even though you may be, it's like Lazarus. Lazarus, in the natural, I know he was physically dead, but Satan wants to target ministries where even though you may be alive physically, you're, he wants every ministry to be dead or at least ineffective, not really breaking out and, and being seen and heard and seeing what God has. It's like even though you're there and you're functioning, you're not really living to your fullness, you see. But I believe with all my heart that God is about to do this in River of Life and I'm not saying this to hype you up. I mean, I really feel this in my spirit. I've been feeling this, and I've been wondering, how do I communicate what I feel? And so God gives me this sermon. But it's, I feel that we have come to the fullness of time, and in that, there's some kind of a desperate cry that is in the spirit. There is some kind of a groan now that's, that's in the spirit because it is the fullness of time. And, that, and you'll see that when it gets to that time, the Holy Spirit begins to kind of amp up the desperation and amp up the groan because he, there's something that's birthing. And the example I've used many times that you're familiar with is a pregnancy. You know, for the nine months, there's just chronos time, just going through the motions of a pregnancy. But there comes a fullness of time where the water breaks. Now there's contractions and there's a groan because now something's being birthed. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. See, we've been going through this for a time of, of prayer and all that God's been doing, but something is broke, and God has been saying it's time, and there's a fullness of time now, and God is amping up the desperation and the groan. Now, in Zechariah 14, verse 1, it, this is interesting as well when you see this, 
Zechariah was seeing Jesus' second coming to the nation of Israel, not the rapture. So let me read it. It says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoils taken from you, Israel, will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. That's the Armageddon. And the city will be taken. Remember, the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple. Two-thirds of the Jews are slaughtered. A third has to go into hiding. And, and it says, the houses will be plundered. The women will be raped. Half the city exiled. The rest of the people will not be eliminated from the city. <clears throat> then, it, then there's a picture here that now, and this is going to be toward the end of the tribulation time here, that the children of Israel have come to a place of sheer desperation because the Antichrist has done what he's done, and now the nations of the earth are gathering around Israel to just annihilate them. And there's a picture here that we see of the remaining remnant looking up and crying a desperate cry to God. And in Hebrew, they're going to be saying, Save us, which is Yeshua. In other words, they're going to be saying, Hoshianu, Yeshua, send salvation, give us salvation. They don't realize it, but they're crying out to Jesus to come in Hebrew. But they're going to be crying out, crying out, save us, Lord. And in that desperate cry, that groan, it says, look at this, uh, suddenly, verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights on the day of battle. This is when Jesus comes in on his white horse and the sword comes out of his mouth and millions are slaughtered. And it says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's when he stands and the Mount of Olives splits in two. And he walks in. And he sits on the throne of his father David to reign. And those that have pierced him uh, will mourn because they see him. So there's, but I want you to see something here. That there had to be a fullness of time. And you look at this, you think, man, things got so desperate. I mean, it got to the point to where many died, and it got to the point of this description here that you read, that the nations gather, the city is plundered, the women are raped, and all this horrible stuff going on. But at the fullness of time there, out of that comes a desperate cry and a groan that the Son of Man breaks through. He breaks in on that, you see. A point of desperation. In Galatians 4.19, the Apostle Paul had traveled Asia Minor on his missionary journeys, which today is called Turkey, the nation of Turkey. That's where Paul traveled. And he went there and he went from area to area, plant, planted churches. And he planted a church in Galatia, and behind him came these Judaizers. And these guys were teaching that for you to be saved, you had to be circumcised, and you had to come up under the law of Moses and do this and that and, and eat kosher, etc., etc. And the Apostle Paul was really upset about this, was very angry because it was nullifying the salvation that comes by faith in Christ because they were trying to make salvation through works again. And the Apostle Paul became very angry about that. And he wrote the book of Galatians to them, rebuking them. And, it, and you ought to read it in context, but he's rebuking him. He said, how can you start out in the spirit and get in the flesh like this? Who has bewitched you, you know, that, that you heard the truth and now you've forsaken it for this? And he really rebuked them. But in that, he said this. This is interesting. The apostle Paul, being an apostle, 
This was a church that he birthed, and he felt like he was going to lose this church. He felt that they were going to be deceived and fall away, going back to Judaism. They were going to fall away. And out of that desperation, listen to what he said here. My children for whom I am again in the pains of labor until Christ is formed in you. The picture here is of him in deep groaning and travail of intercession again, groaning in the spirit over them until Christ be formed in them, that God would intervene. There's this story I heard. uh, This man of God was talking about his family. And one of his children, he said that they had uh, a couple sons, and one of the sons had began to uh, date a young lady, and they were going to get married, but the parents knew that it was absolutely not God. But the son was being stubborn and rebellious, wouldn't listen, but they knew it was, it was heading toward disaster. They knew it. And that mother began to pray and to fast for hours, she was crying out to God, pounding the floor, groaning and travailing for her son. And you know what? God heard her, and God intervened and broke them up, and then later on brought the right person. Now that son is happily married, has kids, and everything is good, but it was, it was something that could have been very bad, probably would have went to divorce, and the parents knew it, and that mother... And he, he said about her, he said that she wasn't necessarily would have been considered the most spiritual person, but when that happened, she began to, to fast and pray and groan and travail over her son, so much so that not only did God intervene for him, but God also changed her in that process to a different person. Isn't that interesting? Now, sometimes these, these desperate times And let me tell you, there are times when things can't delay. She knew that God had to intervene before they got married. You see, this wasn't something you could just casually pray about. And over the next decade or so, something might happen. No, she needed God to intervene now. There's something about that desperation that only God can put in us. In 1 Kings 18, 38, we know the story with the prophet Elijah. Jezebel had gone throughout the land slaughtering the prophets. There wasn't many left. She tore down the altars to God that were on the hills. And Elijah gathered the people to Mount Carmel, and he rebuilt the altar that Jezebel had torn down. And we know the story. Everybody knows. He had them, the prophets of Baal, build their altar. Nothing happened. He built the altar. The fire fell. Here's where it picks up. It says, when he prayed, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed up the burnt offering, and it consumed up the wood, the stones, and the dust. I picture here what would look like a meteor struck the earth, okay? (laughs) And it says that it licked up the water in the trench, and all the people saw it, and they fell on their faces. So Israel was in a desperate place here. That Jezebel spirit had taken up a stronghold in, in the northern ten tribes, out at their capital was Samaria, had taken up a stronghold over there and even got down into the southern two tribes in Judah through Athaliah, those that know the story. But this was something that was serious. The entire nation, 
This, this spirit of witchcraft was slaughtering the true, prof, the true prophets and raising up all these false prophets, promoting idolatry, forsaking the things of God. The nation was being led astray. It was desperate times. And because of that, God brought judgment, which Elijah prophesied, it's not going to rain until my word. And for three years, it didn't rain, dried up. It was desperate. But now was the fullness of time. It was time for revival. And God used Elijah to, to see that breakthrough. As he prayed, fire fell the people repented. They fell on their face and repented. The false prophets were slaughtered. He said here in verse 40, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one escape. And they seized him. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, you better get up and eat and drink for I hear the sound of a heavy rain coming. The fullness of time. It had been dead. It had been dry. And a lot of times people wonder, they say, why, why does it seem like the Lord waits until things get so serious? Well, I heard a phrase, and I don't really latch hold of every little cliche, but somebody did say this, and I believe it's true. They said, dry wood catches fire fast rather than wet wood. And sometimes God will allow things to get desperate. And there's something to that. And see, God, he's not late, He's just waiting until the fullness of time because there's a perfect timing. And God's perfect timing is not our timing. We always want things premature, don't we? But how many knows that a premature birth is dangerous? You have to let things come full term. And it's going to seem longer. It's going to seem more difficult. And you're wondering, man, did we miss it? What has taken so long? But then God shows up. Everything changes. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He crouched down. He had the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was that I hear the sound of a heavy rain. It hadn't rained in three years. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. How many knows when God speaks, sometimes it sure don't look like it. And Elijah heard, he told Ahab, you better hurry up and hit your chariot and hit the road and start heading that way or the rain's going to stop you. Elijah had the word of God, but then he was smart enough to know that just because God spoke that, he still had to pray it through. And so Elijah went up on Mount Carmel and he crouched down to the earth and he put his face between his knees. He began to intercede. I can just picture a groan. I can picture like deep travail, a desperate cry. And he said to his servant, go look toward the sea. And he went and looked and there was nothing. And he said, go back. And he did this seven times. Seven times he did not give up. When you know that you've heard from God. And he prayed it through. And finally his servant said, I see the cloud just the size of a man's hand. Little bitty cloud. And Elijah said, prepare your chariot and go down because the heavy shower is coming. Let me tell you, all that we really have is the word of the Lord to stand on. And this is so important that we learn to pray and to seek God and to hear from God. God, what are you saying? And we get that word and then we have to stand on it. And that's what happened with the, uh, the centurion. The centurion came to Jesus, and he said, my servant is ill. I need prayer. And Jesus said, I'll go with you. And he said, no. He said, 
you don't have to come all the way to my house and bother yourself. It's a long journey, and, you know, I'm not worthy that you come to my house anyway, but if you'll just say the word. And Jesus said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel, and people always want me to go to their house. People always want me to lay hands. You believe that if I just say the word. And, the, and Jesus said, listen to this. Jesus said, go, it will be done. That's all he had. And he didn't have somebody running with him the whole way back continually prophesying to him either. He had to mull over that word in his mind. Jesus said, go, it will be done. Go, it will be done. And he had to meditate on that word all the way back. And as he stood in faith on that word, sure enough, his servant was healed that very hour. And somebody met him along the journey. So see, we have to get the word of the Lord, but we have to believe that word. And we have to, to let our mouths be in agreement with that word. And we've got to pray that word through. And don't be surprised when you get the word and you begin to pray the word that you keep looking seven times and you don't see anything until time passes and finally this little bitty cloud the size of a man's hand but you have to still believe that a heavy shower is coming is this making sense now we're living in times i i'm really concerned it's a small rabbit trail but i'm concerned because covid kind of brought out the the best and the worst you know and um the body of christ just by and large here in America, uh, there was a lot of fear, and I didn't see a lot of faith. I still don't, but I do see a lot of fear. And not only that, I see no difference between the way much of Christianity is handling it as opposed to the world. No difference. And much of Christianity here Prosperity has lulled people into some kind of a, a spiritual complacency place where they're living, where their, their finances, their economy is affected just the same as the world. They haven't learned how to live by faith in, in the Word of God yet. And, and the same with sickness. They're just as dependent on the medical community as, as the world is. There's no difference. And it's concerning because what's going to happen in the days to come, which I don't believe are that far off, when you're going to have to really sell out, spiritually speaking, to have those things? We might as well right now start learning how to live by faith. And when we, when we understand how to live by faith, and I encourage people, and I've got to get off this because this isn't my sermon, but I'm very concerned that there's a large group in Christendom here in, the, in America that does not live by faith nor know how to live by faith. They haven't been taught. They come out of various denominations and groups that do not teach this. And so when it comes to push to shove and, and, and the economy of this world is going to tank, what are they going to do if they don't know how to live financially by faith? They're going to go down with it. What's going to happen whenever in the realm of health problems, when everybody is so dependent on the medical community and the medical community, and I say this in love, but things get more and more weird and more and more uh, maybe satanic and strange. And all of a sudden, you're, they're asking us to do things. It's like, now, wait a second. I have kind of concerns about this. What's going to happen when things get really weird? It's already weird now. 
But what's going to happen? See, people are going to have to learn now. And so I always encourage people, my wife and I take communion every day, to begin to write out a bunch of scriptures about different promises of God, about finances, about health, about relationships, and just different areas, promises of God, and take communion and begin to speak those promises out loud and get that in your spirit. Because at first, it'll just start with your mind agreeing with it. But then gradually over time, it'll get down into your spirit. And when the word of God gets in your spirit, then out of the heart, the, the mouth will speak. Then heart faith will come out of a faith confession that will move a mountain. All right, so there is a life of faith, but we must hear from God. And we got to know what is God saying. Now, Evan Roberts, this is a historical account of this. It was the fullness of time. It's 1904, and the fullness of time, God had a revival for the nation of Wales. And now that it was becoming that time, Evan began to feel that in his spirit. And this is the account here. He began to feel this, this burden, this desperate cry, this groan. And it says here, and in, in before school in the spring of 1904, Evan found himself in what he later referred to as some kind of a mount of transfiguration experience where the Lord revealed himself in such an amazing, overwhelming way that Evan was filled with the divine awe. So God began to move in his life personally to get him ready. After this, he would go through periods of uncontrollable trembling that were so pronounced his family became concerned. I saw a lot of this at Pensacola. People just, their bodies would tremble under the power of God. I saw a lot of it. In fact, I experienced some of that. And when John Davis and I came together for the first time in 2018, even when we were talking about revival, his, he said his body would tremble some. There's something about that, the power of God. It says, for weeks... God visited Evan each night. When his family pressed him to tell them about the experiences, he would only say that they were indescribable. He didn't know how to explain it. And then when time came for him to enter grammar school in Newcastle, he didn't want to go. He was afraid the encounters would be left behind if he left for school. He didn't want to leave. At this time, he still went, though, and at this time, there was a convention being held in Blainark, however you say that. Anyway, a few miles from his school... And there was an evangelist, evangelist named Seth Joshua that was leading these meetings. And so on a Thursday morning, September 29, 1904, this was just a month before uh, the revival was officially going to be known to have broken out, okay? September 29, 1904, Evan Roberts and 19 other young people, the, the Welsh revival was predominantly birthed and led by young people. Isn't that awesome? It says, on the way to this meeting, as they were going, it says the Lord began to move on that little group, 20 people, and they began to sing, it is coming, it is coming, the power of the Holy Ghost. I receive it, I receive it, the power of the Holy Ghost. They were singing and they were prophesying about the Holy Spirit coming. And during the 7 o'clock meeting that early morning, Evan was so deeply moved that he broke down completely at the close of service. 
God had already been moving in his life, but now it's like the fullness of time is right at him. They're about a month out of the revival, and Evan began to feel it so deeply. And as Seth Joshua was preaching, and I'm sure the guy had no idea that he was, he was sowing something into this young man that was going to change an entire nation and would actually go to other nations. He probably had no idea. But in the course of his sermon, he says the phrase, bend us, O Lord. And the phrase, bend us, Lord, I, I take that as, Lord, break the stubbornness. Lord, bring repentance. Change what needs to be changed. Put in me what needs to come. Take out what needs to go, but don't let me be stubborn and stiff-necked. Bend me, Lord. Well, Evan entered a deep travail and heard nothing more. He later said that when said Joshua said that phrase, the Holy Spirit whispered to him, that's what you need. And Evan began to cry, bend me, O Lord. Later at the nine o'clock meeting, the spirit of intercession moved powerfully upon the people. Evan was bursting to pray and he began to weep See this desperate cry? He began to have a desperate cry now. Bend me, Lord, bend us. The Holy Spirit came upon him with a mighty, with a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit that he later said was Calvary's love and a love for Calvary. On midnight, shortly after this, a few days later, Evan's friend, his best friend and his roommate, whose name was Sidney Evans, came into a room where Evan had been in prayer. Other accounts talk about how Evan saw visions. He actually saw a vision of like a cash register, cha-ching, and there was a little ticket that came out, and it said 100,000 souls. Though so he had visions, that God was showing him things, and he was in deep prayer in his room, and Sidney Evans didn't know what was going on, just came into the room, and he looked at Evan, and Evan's face was literally glowing. And he was astonished and taken back, and he asked him what had happened, and Evan replied that he had just had a vision, and he saw the whole nation of wells being lifted up to heaven as a vision. And, he, and then Evan began to prophesy, and he said, Sidney, we are about to see the mightiest revival wells has ever known. And he said, the Holy Spirit is coming even now. We must get ready. We must get together a small group that can travel and preach. Suddenly, he stopped, and he looked at his friend with piercing eyes, and he said, do you believe that God can give us 100,000 souls? And his friend recounted this and said he was so gripped by the presence of God when Evan asked him that, he couldn't help but believe. But there came a point of desperation, and we know that at the end of October, I believe was the date that the Welsh revival broke out, but they were right there at it, and Evan was sensing that desperation. Now, they had been through Kronos time, Kronos time, Kronos time. But now it was like time for a birth. And he felt that desperation. He felt that deep groan. And I've been sensing that. So there are certain things God will only do when we get to a point of desperation. And I think about what I've been referring to with the prophet Daniel last week was really a sermon just for you guys, but Daniel knew that 70 years was up. It was the fullness of time. And Daniel began in Daniel chapter 9 to enter into prayer and fasting and deep intercession for the nation of Israel. 
And he asked God, forgive us for our sins and iniquity and that of our fathers. And he, began, he had the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was that at 70 years is up, it's time to go back to the land. He had the word. And he had to pray that word in. And Daniel got desperate enough to fast for 21 days. And God moved. And I think about Acts chapter 1 and 2. Jesus had raised from the dead. You know, it had been 40 days since Passover as the counting of the Omer. There's 50 days until Pentecost. His 40 days of that were up. He was talking to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And now he's leaving. And as he's about to go, he, Peter asked him, is it time now for you to restore the kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know. But he says, here's what you do need to know. He said, you need to go back into Jerusalem and you need to tarry until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. That's the word of the Lord. Jesus had already been telling them, I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna send a comforter. But now he gives them the, a specific word. He says, you go into Jerusalem and begin to pray and tarry because the promise of the Spirit is about to come. And what they do, apparently John had some Levitical blood because he was allowed into Jesus' trial. So he probably was able to rent a room there at the temple. But they all went in. They rented some kind of a room there around the temple, and they began to gather. What did they do for those remaining 10 days? They began to pray. I'm sure that they committed themselves to some fasting, and they began to cry out. And the Bible says that they were in one accord. They were unified. And what did they have? They were standing on the promise that Jesus gave them, the prophetic word that the Holy Spirit was coming. Sometimes that's all that we have is the promise of God, what God has specifically said. And in the natural, not only does it look impossible, it seems like everything is the opposite. Even as you begin to pray about it, it seems like sometimes things start getting worse. And you're thinking, what is going on? But you don't understand, just like Lazarus, it may delay from a sickness to a death because God doesn't want to just heal a sickness. He wants to raise the dead. He's wanting to do something of significance. So for that, there's got to be a fullness of time. And when that comes, those that are people of the Spirit will begin to sense that desperation in their spirit. It's not something that you can conjure up. It's not something that you mentally can just make yourself have. But deep in your belly, in your gut, the Holy Spirit in you, there's a desperate cry and there's a groan. And even people that God has maybe never really used that way before will find themselves weeping and groaning because something is up. I could go through a lot of historical accounts with this in the Hebrides revival. The, these precious old ladies, they knew something was up. They needed a revival. I think about Frank Bartleman there at Azusa Street. He was so desperate. He knew he sensed revival was coming. And he even took pamphlets about the Welsh revival, just gave them out to churches and people. And he was trying to get people to pray. He knew something was up. And he began this desperate cry, this deep groan. And we know that eventually that William Seymour connected and there was a, a prayer meeting in, in revival birth. But people will sense it. In Isaiah 30, 18, says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he waits on high to have compassion. 
for the Lord is a God of justice. And that's kind of what I think here. There's an element of the fullness of time, but there's also an element of God's justice. That God, when it comes time, he will bind the enemy and he will release the power of God. But there's a fullness of time about it. There's a process. There's something that's beyond us. As we think to ourselves, why is it that things seem to linger on? But Peter said, God's not slack in his promises. He's not slow as some consider slowness. He said to God, a day is as a thousand years. But he's waiting because he doesn't want anybody to perish. Could it be that in our little minds we think one way, but maybe God sees the big picture that he's been moving things around and moving people into geographic regions, and he's been shifting things and doing things over a period of time so that when the harvest is really ripe and ready in the fullness of time that we don't understand, then the sickle can come to the harvest. We don't see any of that. We think in in such small terms. How blessed are all those who long for him. For you people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will certainly be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer. And I think about how Daniel, he knew the fullness of time. He knew the word of the Lord. And he was so deeply moved that that he, he began to pray and fast those 21 days. I wonder about the power of humility, prayer, and fasting that deep groan that's there, and how the Bible says this about prayer and fasting. I'm going to give you some scriptures, Second Chronicles 7.14, Joel 2, Isaiah 58. When those three scriptures are kind of put together, there's five things. As we humble ourselves, we pray, we fast, we're givers, especially to the poor, and we deeply consecrate our lives. We really repent. When we do those five things and we meet God's conditions. Here are some promises. I want you to think about this for a moment. Just hear me. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Joel 2, Isaiah 58. When we do our part, listen to what God says. God says, if you'll do that, there's a desperate cry. See, a lot of times people won't do this until they get desperate anyway. But there's a desperate cry. He says, if you'll do this and you'll meet the conditions, he said, I will hear from heaven I will forgive your sin and heal your land. He says also that you will call to me in that day and I will answer you. He says you will cry out. That's that desperate cry. And he will say, here I am. He'll show up, his nearness. He says also in Joel 2, I will drive out your enemies. Many times things are locked up because of the demonic forces in a region and against a group of people. Some have wayward family, but you don't see the demonic realm that's behind it. But if we will cry out, there's a prayer, there's a fasting, there's a deep groan that will cause God himself to send his angels and drive away the forces of hell that have locked things up. And then he said, after I drive away your enemies... He said, then I'll release the grain, the new wine, the oil, the former latter rains. I'll restore all the years the locusts have eaten. He says, also, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's a great outpouring. And then he says that through you, I will make you restorers. 
that you will be among those that rebuild ancient ruins. I think about Elijah that rebuilt the altar that Jezebel tore down. He had been a man of prayer and fasting, a man of the Spirit, and God was using him to restore ancient ruins, to raise up age-old foundations, repair the breach and streets to dwell in. And also think about in Isaiah 58, it says, I'll make you like a well-watered garden. You know what that is? Perpetual revival. That you live like a tree planted by the waters. You live refreshed and in revival. These are promises. Now, I'm going to give you a couple things that um, just in my life personally, I gave you a bunch of scriptures, and I gave you a historical account with Evan Roberts. I wanted you to see that as time drew near for revival to happen, it was time for God to show up. Evan was gripped with deep intercession. He was just so burdened. And that happened to many others before revival, okay? Now, there was a time years ago, I'm just going to give a couple quick stories. I'm limiting this. I could give about five, but I'm just going to give probably two or three. But there was a time that um, years ago, they had kind of gone through a major satanic warfare in the 90s. God began, I was a baby Christian. I mean, 19, January 95, I gave my life to the Lord. But I mean, God began to really move in my life. I was such a baby Christian. I had come out of a lot of sin that I got mixed up in. And I, God just began to, because of the 90s revivals, God began to pour out a spirit in my life. But simultaneously, there was just, I mean, a horrible, hellish warfare coming against me that I didn't even understand. I didn't understand spiritual warfare. And so there was, there was a lot going on, and I went through a period of losing everything. A major, major Judas in my life during this time, major. And just a lot of destruction. But yet God was sending great revival. But I remember that in my life there was something that happened where there was a desperate cry and there was a deep groan. And God had, was doing this move in my life because there was a desperate cry and a deep groan. God began to move really powerful in my life. But there was also this warfare. And that tremendous warfare had also caused kind of a desperation, you see. But in those days, God began to send great revival. And that desperate cry in me, that groan that God did, began to open things up. God removed in my life divine appointments uh, at Brownsville, obviously, but other revivals. There, there were two precious elderly ladies that really began to pray with me and teach me how to pray. And so that desperate cry in me that God put in my belly, even though the enemy was doing everything he could to destroy, yet that groan in me was birthing a great revival in my life personally. Okay. Now, years later, um, more than a decade later, there was a time that I went through 2011. This was another time. Um, you know, my wife and I married at this time, and we were seeing God really move. And the thing was, though, it's hard to explain. But there had just been such a tremendous move of God but at the same time, we went through a really difficult period. And I'm going to try to do my best. Words probably won't be able to really convey. But I just was really going through a significant warfare. 
the enemy wanted to shut everything down. Um, great loss in many ways. There was a, I went through a major betrayal, the spiritual son. It was a, it was a Judas in my life, big time. Um, I had just every area of my life, I was being attacked in my health. I was being attacked financially, uh, family attacked. And it was just so, so difficult. I can't convey to you how bad it was. I was spiritually just, just trying to survive. And this was something strategized. I'm convinced, looking back on it in the heavens, to completely just shut down any move of God whatsoever in my life. And so during this time of major, major attack, um, God was moving real powerful. But I was at a point where I had had enough of it. And people didn't know this. Even my family didn't know this. But I was seriously considering just altogether getting completely out of the ministry. I wouldn't wish this on a snake. Um, there's got to be something better in life. And I, but I was facing it on every side. There were things I can't talk about. But I was going through a lot more than people know. And um, during that time, I'm, I'm supposed to be ministering, and I myself am just trying to survive. But, you know, it's interesting because the Lord's grace is sufficient. And I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything as far as a sermon or anything at that time. I'm just in survival mode, and I'm going through there. God gave me whatever word he gave me. I preached it. And it was like an evening service, and I was walking through there, and I was thinking to myself, you know, I just need out of this. I need to find a way to find a different means of employment, etc. I'm not in a frame of mind of ministry at all. I'm just there. God gave me a word. I shared that, and then I was just praying for people. And the crazy thing is, I'm praying for people that are really powerfully getting touched. And in that time, I was, I, I, how many knows that I, the way I'm describing this, there's a desperate cry, a groan. And I'm going through there, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, there's got to be a way out of this. There's got to be something. I'm just praying for people. It's funny because I'm not mentally but people are getting hit by the power touch and all that. That's the night that, you know, I prayed with Brianna, and she got hit by the power. This was a suddenly. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with this at the end was the suddenlies. Because I was at a point of seriously, when I, when I say this, this, this right here tonight, this could all have never existed. I was that close to just getting out of this. I was tired of it. And that's where the enemy wanted me. And I was going through praying for people. And in my, in, to me, I was just going through the motions. But when I got to Brianna that night, there's this young lady, still a teenager at the time, very young, and, um, or, you know, right out of those years, but she's very young still. And I remember just praying with her. All of a sudden, she gets hit by the power and thrown in the air and lands on her back. And when she hit the ground, I heard this, and it shocked me because... I hadn't heard these sounds in years, but I used to go in the sanctuary there at this church I was at. I was the only one there. I'd play worship, and God was just, remember, God was really moving in my life at this time. I was reading the word. I was praying, 
And um, these two elderly ladies would come in, and they start praying. But they were intercessors. So they would get in the spirit, and there would be this deep intercession, this groaning and travailing and all this. And, and so I was used to that with them, but I hadn't heard those sounds in years. And I was praying. All of a sudden, when Brianna hit the ground, those sounds came out of her. Yeah, I, I promise you I heard Ruby and Addie. I couldn't believe it. I thought, my God, what's going on? And it didn't just stop with her. Once she got touched in that way, and God just imparted to her something from Ruby and Addie. That's all I can figure out. Something from those years with them and them laying hands on me and praying over me, I was carrying something I just didn't know and that, that was there for her. And the fullness of time, at a desperate point, the groan came, hit her suddenly. I was not expecting it all. And it didn't, like I said, it didn't just stop with her. She, something began to spread throughout that church. And I began to see God move on others in deep intercession. And it became something in the church. And I'm going to tell you this as I'm standing here. If it wasn't for that type of praying that was birthed in 2011, I sincerely don't believe that I would have stayed in the ministry as I was that close to getting out of it. But that type of praying shifted something in the atmosphere. It began to push back the darkness and began to open things up. Now, one other time, we had, we had gone through this Romans 8, 26. Now, I've been talking in here about a desperate cry and a groan. In Romans 8, 26, it says this, we don't know how to pray. How many knows that sometimes we're praying and we've said everything in English that we know how to pray, and now we're at a point, we're like, God, I don't know what else to say anymore. And then it says, in that time... Paul says here, don't get discouraged because in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, look at this, with groanings too deep for words. It's a groan. When Jesus was going to go to a whole other realm in his ministry, the dead was going to be raised, Jesus groaned in the spirit. There's a fullness of time, and God knew I was at a point of desperation, and it exploded in River of Life. And over the last 10 years has been just a season of, of deep intercession, deep groaning, and facilitating that. For now, we're coming to the fullness of time for us, for prophecies to be fulfilled and the birth to come. But I'll give one more um, this, this had been a challenging time, but all right, so the, a few years after that, God was really moving again now. It just seemed to push back the darkness, and the Holy Spirit began to move real powerful again. But I was seeing, let, let me share one more. I'm just going to give you three tonight. I was seeing how in our region since the 90s, I've been here since the 90s, I was here basically as a spiritual babe, as a kid, got water immersed uh, initially out there at Lake Ray Hubbard. I mean, I've been here since 95, moved out to this area. We used to witness right over here at Hollywood Theater. 
And so I've been here for, for all this time. And um, anyway, I've seen since the 90s revivals how much the landscape here has changed. And I, I'm saying this with a humble heart, but just hear my, under, my mindset in this because I saw how things were, and then I saw it changing in this area to how things are. So when you experience that, it's hard, okay? So I saw people that I loved, people I knew, uh, people that were in revival. I saw people begin to backslide. I saw people no longer hungry for God. I saw people's godly convictions wane. They began to participate in things, whether it be drinking or cussing or ungodly entertainment, whatever. I saw them begin to backslide and their godly convictions wane. I saw some of them just simply get out of church altogether and others begin to amalgamate into places where God's not moving at all, but they just kind of became like a normalized, institutionalized church type of Christian. Totally got away from revival. And I saw in this region how the enemy began to really attack this region. I saw it. I was in the middle of it. And I think that that also had to do with what I was going through, what was trying to come against me. But I saw people that I loved in this area die physically. I saw families destroyed. I saw churches destroyed. I saw people pack up their bags and leave the area. And I've seen the landscape here change. I'm sharing this for a reason. I'm going somewhere with this. I saw people leave. I saw the second heaven warfare intensify. And let me just say this, though. And I, I say this with humility, but I'm saying this because I, I feel like I need to say this. Because uh, I'm going to come back to this story. Give me just a second. But if we won't give up, you see, if we won't give up, the enemy wanted to brass the heavens over Dallas. And I, I felt it trying to happen. That's what he was doing. He was trying to destroy every type of ministry that would keep the heavens open and clear this area out. But how many knows it's not going to work in Jesus' name? Is there still a remnant that, of people that are praying? And I, because of this, because of what was going on, I, I felt like more and more and more, and there's some people that understand me, in particular this last conference when we had Ralph here. As I talked to Ralph, I could just see it in his eyes. He's like, brother, I totally understand, and he does. I, I said, I, I felt more and more like a fish out of water. I felt like, who am I going to connect with? I mean, all, it seemed like I honestly had no idea of who to even connect with anymore. People were like, well, we're going to get together and pray, and I'd go there, and they would do everything but praying. They would do a bunch of eating, and they would do a bunch of promoting their things and this, that, and the other. And it was a total waste of my time. And I was trying to be humble and have a good heart about it. And I could tell a lot of stories. I'm not going to. But in that place, I began to get really desperate. And at the urging of my wife, she's like, we well, got to go talk to this person. So I was going to set up a meeting with, with somebody. I was going to talk to him. But to be honest with you, I went. But this person was just kind of like, this was just another thing to do that day. I mean, they had zero interest, no anointing. It, was, it wasn't anything. And so I had, I had left there after talking with this person even more discouraged, and I remember this. I rem you know, there's being a crybaby and being a little wimp where you just have your little pity parties, and then there's actually having a legitimate complaint. 
I wasn't being a crybaby here. I, I looked up to the Lord, and I had tears, and I said, God, who am I going to connect with? What am I going to do? And it, it was out of that desperate cry. A series of events began to unfold where God supernaturally connected me with John Davis. And when we came together, it was like nitro and glycerin. I mean, even the first time he came in 2018, as soon as we connected, even our conversations, the power of God showed up. And it was just like the trembling we felt in our bodies again of the power of God. And it, it's a divine connection. And you know what? I'm going to say this because I was going to say this earlier, but I'm going to share this now. So in that, if we don't give up, I had, I had been facilitating this deep intercession here in River of Life, and, and I began to have these anointed ministries come in. And I'm saying this to encourage you and maybe some of those that follow our ministry. But Satan wanted to really brass the heavens over Dallas and lock things up so tight where there was nothing here. I mean, nothing. And um, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but, but I really believe this is true. I know that there's some people praying in, in our region. I know that, and I, I love them, and I honor them. But I do not believe that there's enough of deep praying, deep groaning, deep travail, fasting, the deep intercession that you hear from like Brienne and these others, that deep calling unto deep, that deep groan. I don't think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of just holding hands and saying a little prayer. And that has its place. But I began to have, as Brother John Davis came in 2019, I really felt it was to be a convergence. And I wanted to return to the roots. And I said, Lord, I really felt the Lord put on my heart to begin to have these different streams come together. And I had Sergio Scataglini come representing the Argentine Revival. And he's a, he's a dear friend. And he, is, he really is a wonderful man of God. If you, if you somehow could just cut him open, open him up, there is just no guile. He is just a pure, sincere man of God. And I had him come, and I had Brother John Davis come. Same thing with Brother John. There's not an insincere bone in John Davis's body. He is as sincere as I've ever known anybody. And I had them come, and I had Benny Baker come. We all love Brother Benny. And you know what? Something happened in the heavens. And I felt it. I felt that there was something of significance, something shifted. We had these authority figures come, representing different moves of God together. And we began to pray. We began to fast. We began to intercede and as we converged together, something happened in the heavens. And I'll, I'll tell, tell it in a nutshell, but I knew that something was trying, the princes and powers were trying to set up a stronghold. And I believe that these men of God coming in with the combined prayer and fasting here, like drove like a sword up and just pierced that thing back open. Here's what happened. Brianna and Stephen were outside here talking to somebody and she said, man, what was that? They said it sounded like some kind of a deep, extremely loud, loud like a train horn loud, right? Loud, deep, sounded like an ancient shofar blast. And Stephen said it kind of sounded almost like a gate opened or something. And let me tell you something else. It made the, the news here. A lot of you didn't know. I still have the video. 
that there were people that saw it and caught it on camera. There was like some kind of a blue light that exploded into our atmosphere overhead in Dallas. And then we ended our conference on that Saturday night. That Sunday morning was Pentecost Sunday, and a rushing mighty wind blew in that was so strong in Dallas on Pentecost Sunday that it literally blew over. It made the news. It blew over a crane that they use for skyscrapers. You know what that was? I believe this with every fiber of my being. I believe that God began to move some angels in here and break the power of hell off the heavens over this region. I believe that. And don't give up. And the next year, I wasn't thinking anything about this. I'm just trying to just obey God. It's keep it simple, you know. Just obey God. And God spoke to me next year at Pentecost Conference. He said, the hearts of the fathers to the children, children of the fathers. That's what he told me. And I said, well, I said, Brother Holt has always been a spiritual father. I said, uh, Brother Holt, I want you to come minister. And then, of course, John Davis, a spiritual father, and Brother Benny is a friend of our ministry and had them all come. And um, the true story, this happened. That what, when you say, you look at Malachi, it says, I will send the prophet Elijah. And it said, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, children of the fathers. Least I strike the land with a curse. Now, it's interesting because the enemy wanted to strike this land with a curse. And what's the opposite of the spirit of Elijah when the Holy Spirit comes? What would be like the nemesis? Jezebel. And buddy, that has been a spirit in this region, the Jezebel spirit. I mean... And if I've faced anything, I have faced Jezebel's, my Lord, my God. And so I don't want to rabbit trail there, but um, yeah. So anyway, I had them come. And you had these, listen to what I'm saying is it's so important. You had the hearts of the fathers to children, children to fathers. But you had these strong, masculine men of authority that carry authority with God that came in. We, we, as a church, had our season of prayer and fasting. We came together with the conference with them. We began to, to pray and intercede. And so I felt it shift. I knew something significant happened. But the manifestation of what happened in the heavens was just unbelievable. So I started seeing these reports of people in Texas all the way from here down to Austin began to take videos, and I heard it for myself. I couldn't share it because it seemed like everybody that made a video wanted to cuss. But, um, you know, what the bleep is that type of thing, you know. But I heard it for myself that there was a blood-curdling female high-pitched scream that was going on in the heavens, and it was on video. And I heard it. And I've had enough of a deliverance ministry to know that I've cast demons out of enough people that I myself have heard that scream before when a spirit of witchcraft in particular in East Texas, there was a young lady that some demons manifest. I was casting them out of her. And there was, when I said I felt a spirit of witchcraft and when I command to leave, my God, she let out this high-pitched, blood-curdling scream that there wasn't anybody didn't have hair standing up on the back of their neck with that one. That thing came out with the creepiest scream I've ever heard. And that's what I heard in the heavens. There was a high-pitched female scream. 
And people, uh, it, several people recorded, what is that? They're riding around it. One guy riding around on his bike, you know, holding up his phone, and he'd ride far away over here and hold up his phone. You know what that was? That was the power of God breaking into the heavens overhead, and that Jezebel spirit was screaming out, enraged at what was going on. Don't give up because the battle in the heavens is being won. And I believe God has been using these deep groans of these intercessors. And here's, here's what I felt, and I'm closing now with this. I have felt that as River of Life, as those that have been watchmen, as you've been faithful, we've every day of the week covered with somebody praying and fasting that day. As you've been faithful to fast on your watch, and I'm encouraging people, firm it up here in 2022. Please be faithful with that because we're living in perilous times. And we need to cover each other in prayer and fasting. And I know that we all know that. But I felt God tell me to split it up like that so that nobody had to carry the load themselves to fast and pray all the time. If we could just give ourselves a one day a week to be really serious about it, everybody could take one day. Anybody can do that. And we could have every day of the week covered. So that Watchmen program has been really powerful. And the second thing I felt is that we've had Tuesday night prayer meeting and the praise and worship and then the coming together of the intercession. And again, I mean, you're, you're hearing the, the, interse- the deep groaning and travailing of the intercessors. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I grew up in Pentecost, and that used to be pretty common. And I mentioned that. And, and people that have grown up in Pentecost will tell you, oh, yeah, you remember Brother Ralph up here talking about when he was a young man in church and he said, I used to go in there before church and all the intercessors would be in there praying. And he said, man, it used to just kind of freak me out hearing all those intercessors groaning and travailing in the spirit. He didn't know what was going on. But that was common. But here's what's concerning to me. You've seen multiple scriptures tonight about a desperate cry and a deep groan and then how that breaks things through, okay, in prayer. I'm concerned that this is being, by and large, erased from the body of Christ. It is extremely rare now. And the reason why is because people are all caught up with give people what they want, let the world come in and put on a good show just to get butts in the seats. Hey, an intercessor lady over here groaning will freak them out, so let's get rid of her. That's been what's been going on. And consequently, the heavens have been brassing over America. Consequently, you have powerless churches now that are just entertainment, social clubs, no power. I mean, when's the last time you went to church and seen people hit by the power of God? You saw the sick healed. You saw demons coming out of people. You see, we're not seeing Book of Acts biblical Christianity because the very thing that will birth that in deep intercession and prayer is being gotten rid of and replaced with just being a social club. And so one of the things I feel for River of Life is is that we're about to see the promises of God. We have the prophetic word of God, what God has said to us. We've had the word. God has said, I am going to do these things. 
There's provision, there's revival and a harvest, etc. This is being recorded, so I can't be overly specific. But you know what God has said to us. We have the word of the Lord. Now, God is going to put in us, and he's already begun this, and I believe tonight as I pray with you guys, God is beginning to move on us with an increased desperate cry and a groan because we have come now to the fullness of time when it's time to see these things birthed and, and to come forth in the natural. And for those that are willing tonight to receive that, to receive the burden of the Lord, to be the intercessor that God needs us to be. And I believe as revival breaks forth in River of Life, I don't know how far, how wide, how long, but all I know is that I'm going to give everything to it and I'm going to protect it. I'm not, by the grace of God, ain't no Jezebel's coming in here to mess things up. I ain't putting up with it. God knows that. This thing is going to go and do what God wants it to do. But in that, I believe that God is going to restore the ancient ruins and he's going to begin to bring back the intercessory ministry that the devil has stole. He's going to begin to restore back the baptism in the Holy Ghost and fire and tongues again. Book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, Christianity. He's going to begin to bring back such a move of his spirit that even the hardest hearts are going to melt and people be convicted and brought in. He's going to bring back, we're going to see tremendous healings and miracles and great deliverance right in the house of God, demons leaving people. We're going to see the power of God displayed openly, and God through that is going to restore the foundations and the ruins. And I believe that people will come. When Lyndall Cooley was with us, he said, I see people coming from the north, south, east, and west. It's coming. And so I see it too. God's going to be drawing people. And so I'm saying to River of Life, right now, God is putting in us, by his spirit, a desperate cry and a groan like never before. And if people will yield to that, God may wake you up in the night. God may, your prayer time may change. You used to pray a certain way, but now you find yourself more weeping. You find yourself more groaning than ever before. But don't get deterred from that because there are prayers too deep for words that the Holy Spirit through you will do through tears, through weeping, through a desperate cry, through a groan, what only he can do. It's deep. It's what the Bible's talking about, deep calling unto deep. The deep of God in you calling out to the deep of God. Deep calling unto deep, that desperate cry. And I used to hear that. We're going to pray now in just a moment. I used to hear that breakout, man, at Brownsville. And I'll never forget hearing those little children get under the power of God, little kids. That Holy Spirit fell that particular night on the children. And they began to be on the stage, and they were holding their bellies and they were groaning, and they were crying a desperate cry. And I so love Steve Hill's heart. Steve Hill, all these people there, you know, a lot of times people that aren't right about things will kind of push the kids out of the way and just go on with what. Steve said, no, no, no. He, thousands of people there. He said, this is what God's doing tonight. 
and he put the mic down to those little children, and he said, this right here is the most powerful form of praying that you can do. He said, I guarantee, this is what he said. I believe you can still see the video. He said, these children here tonight, they're birthing souls in their prayers. And you know what? The Holy Spirit fell as they were praying. There's something about that desperate cry and that groan that will raise the dead. And I believe that Satan has been trying so hard to bring like an oppression. But just like Lazarus, God himself is beginning to step into river of life in a new way. And it's like some of these grave clothes, I'm saying this by the Holy Spirit, some of these grave clothes that people have wondered, why am I wrestling some of this in my health? Why am I wrestling some of this mentally and emotionally? Why has it been heavy? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's been a tremendous warfare in the heavens over this region. The battleground is in the gates. The princes and powers that are overhead are threatened by the deep groans and travail that has been going up before the throne of God out of this place. And the enemy himself has been trying to set himself up as a great resistance. And he has hoped that we would give up and get discouraged. He had hoped that there would be apathy and lethargy and complacency set in. But there has been like a grave clothes that he's tried to drop over. It's like a, an oppression, like a cloth of death to oppress and hinder and resist. But I see the prayers in the fullness of time now that the Lord Jesus is beginning to come in. And he's ripping away those grave clothes resulting in physical health and change that's about to come. It's near. The grave clothes are being broken off, and the Lord's about to step in. And right as we're at it, God is beginning to put in us a desperate cry and a groan that is connected to what he's wanting to do in this next season. It's serious. There's a reason why he's saying to me to dedicate this year to talk about historic revivals, because God himself is wanting to redig a well of revival. God is wanting to open something up that the river will begin to flow like never before. You can feel the rumbling. You can smell the rain. The winds are already beginning to blow. You can sense it if you're sensitive. God is already beginning to move in a new way, and things are about to break open. It's time, says the Lord. It's time for prophecies to be fulfilled. So I want to shut down recordings, and I want to pray with those tonight that would say